I'm Allison Van Hooser, and I'm on a sold-out mission to develop highly successful leaders at all levels. In the 15 years I've been working throughout the food, financial, retail industries, and politics, I've become deeply aware of the powerful effects of leadership. In each episode, you will get strategies and actions you can use immediately in order to change you, your team, and your business. The question is, will you choose to own it? Will you put your stake in the ground and decide to do something with what you've learned today? This is Stake, the Leadership Podcast. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in today. I have something new and exciting for you. I'm sharing with you a clip of our show, The Man and the Millennial. On our show, The Man and the Millennial, which airs the first, third, and fifth Friday of every month on LinkedIn, we are sharing a multi-generational perspective on leadership issues. We have people submit questions and we answer them live. One of the questions we got that we answered this week was, what questions should leaders be asking their employees? Now, if you've listened to Stake for very long, if you've ever been in our leadership training sessions or heard any of my keynotes based on employee engagement and being successful in the workplace, then you are very familiar with the idea that I say the biggest challenge for leaders in today's workforce is creating an individualistic leadership style and being able to adapt what you do to meet people where they are. With a workforce that is so diverse It's incredibly important that if you want to be an effective leader today and not just be relevant but successful tomorrow and for the next 5, 10, 15 years, you must get to know your people. Today on this episode, we're exploring that topic and giving you some ideas of ways to spark conversation between you and your employees. Enjoy. We are going to start off by talking about the question that was submitted to us since the last episode. If you go ahead. I'm sorry. Let me remind our viewers that we're trying to build a program around their questions, specifically their questions that they send to us by way of email. And for those of you who are watching, I want you to go ahead and write this address down even now, because as you're watching, a question may come to you. And all you have to do is just send us a quick email, email and we'll try to address those questions in future programs, in future episodes. The, the email address Hello, H-E-L-L-O, at vanhooser.com. Our last names, they're on the screen. Hello at vanhooser.com. We'll field your questions and we'll look forward to trying to prepare to answer them in the days ahead. Absolutely. And it can be questions from a management and supervisory perspective. It can be professional development or even personal development questions. That's the type of work that we do with organizations of all different sizes, of all different, from all different places across the country. So know that our heart is to serve you all. So Phil, I'll let you go ahead and read the question that was submitted to us last week. This was a great encouragement to both Allison and I. During our session last week, we were talking about millennials and challenges and generational differences and so on and so forth. And almost as soon as we got off the air, our program was live last time, almost as soon as we left the air, we checked our email, boom, there was an email question from David in Alabama. And I want David in Alabama to know how much we appreciate not only his watching, but his participation by way of 
providing this question. This question is a great question. It's not only going to hopefully help David, but I think it'll help a lot of other folks as well. Allison already knows what the question is. I'm going to read specifically what David said in his email. And then Allison, I'll let you take first shot at this and then I'll I'll offer a few perspectives as well. So again, the question that David from Alabama posed to us was this. What are four or five questions to ask team members in a one-on-one setting in order to know them better? Let me say that again. What are four or five questions that a leader could ask team members, individuals or, well, individuals throughout the team, but in a one-on-one setting in order to know them better? And then he goes on to say, and to understand um, what keeps them coming to work every day. Now, again, I said it's a great question, a question that, frankly, is on the on the hearts and minds of a lot of supervisors and managers presently, but certainly will be in the future as well. So, Allison, I'll let you take the first shot at this. What are some questions that might be able to be asked of an employee or employees one-on-one in one-on-one situations that would get uh, enable a leader to get to know them better? Sure. So, my first thought when I read that, And especially in thinking about, I was in Baltimore yesterday speaking at an event. There were several speakers there. And one of the speakers in particular, they talked about uh, people who communicate passive aggressively. And so uh, just thinking about people who sort of uh, beat around the bush or don't want to, aren't comfortable being direct. And so I'll use this example really quickly. Uh, My husband and I are both millennials, uh, but we communicate very differently. I'm a very direct communicator. This is what I want. This is how I want it. He doesn't have to wait on me to wonder where we're going to go eat dinner. I'm quick to pick, quick to say what I want, but he is very, uh, he is not comfortable with such direct communication. Not that he can't handle it or something like that, but he would prefer just a softer approach to things. And so when I was reading this question, even this morning, uh, my first thought was sometimes as leaders, we can make communication too complicated. I think that we need to be, we need, we need to not be fearful or not be hesitant to be straight with our employees. But in being straight with our employees, we got to remember there are folks out there like your husband, my son, Joe, who want to take a more casual or more deliberate approach to communication. So if we're going, if we are the direct type, and Allison, you certainly are, and frankly, so am I, if we're the direct type, but we're interacting, communicating with someone who's not the direct type, we first of all, for that communication to be effective, we have to eliminate the obstacles or more specifically the fears that people may have. Uh, So I think you that you're totally hitting the nail on the head. So he wants to have a one on one conversation with his people. I think the first thing before you ask any question is that being transparent, being straightforward, eliminating the fears, like you said. So if you go to an employee and you say, hey, I want to have a one on one meeting with you, have a conversation. Their initial reaction (laughs) could be. Oh, no. Like, uh oh, exactly. And we were talking about generations yesterday. I feel I've heard you talk about this before. Back in the day, what was the phrase that people use? Something like if I didn't see you, then everything's going well. What was that? Uh, It must be going well if I haven't kicked your butt, if I haven't chewed you out. 
I'll let you know if there's something. I'll share information on a need to know, and I'll let you know if there's a problem. So whenever a boss would come to me and say, or anybody of my generation and say, Phil, we need to talk, that was not a good sign, generally speaking. And so with that in mind, with that perspective in mind, I think saying, hey, I'm trying to be a better leader for you. What I know is that the world is changing and people are so different. Like I want to be able to connect with you. And that only happens if I get to know you. So I'd love to have a one on one conversation with you. By the way, let me also share this, Allison, for people who are really hesitant, because this is the first obstacle that leaders have to overcome. Many leaders will say, we need to have a conversation. I know I need to have a conversation with my employees. I know it would be helpful if I created that level of communication, but they just don't know how to start. Here's a suggestion, and it may sound foolish, but I'm not kidding when I say this. Why not say to an employee, you know, I was watching a, a podcast. I was watching a video. I was watching these guys uh, who are focused on leadership, Allison and Philip Van Hooser, and they were saying that maybe we should have one-on-one -on -one conversations periodically with our employees. And I realized it makes a lot of sense, number one. Number two, we've never done that. So I thought maybe it would be helpful if we just sat and talked. And if today works, Let's do it again sometime soon. And so therefore, you you put the burden on someone else, in this case, you and I, but without, without making yourself feel too terribly uncomfortable because you haven't done it before. So it's, a, it's just a way of easing into the conversation. I love that. And I think, too, that that's just transparent and real. And you and I both know when we ask people what they want from their leaders, transparency is always, always. on the list. So, okay, we've set the stage for how do we even begin this type of one-on-one -on -one meeting. We want to be really intentional about that. But then, okay, where do you even start? One of the things that we, Phil and I sort of have different questions we want to bring up. But the first thing I'd love to bring up is finding something that they do well, uh, recognizing that they're doing it well. And then asking them, you know, why do you do this so well? Or why is this important to you? Uh, do you want me to share the story from Baltimore yesterday? I found it to be an intriguing story. And again, less than 24 hours old, I think it might be appropriate. Okay, sure. So I had finished the keynote. I go to my room. I changed my clothes. I head downstairs to the lobby and I am walking towards the door. And this woman who is about a foot taller than me, she has on a security guard uniform. She says, do you have your phone charged? And at first I was like, oh, like, yes, I think I can go look at it. I didn't say that. I just said yes. And she was almost relieved. She, OK, good. And she said, are you calling a ride? And I thought, what is this about? And I said, yes. And she said, OK, I'm going to walk out there with you. And I, I just, okay. And we both started walking outside and she said, you know, Baltimore is crazy these days. People are stealing, people are killing, and I want to make sure that you're safe out here. And as soon as she said that, I thought, wow, like she didn't have to walk me out here. She didn't have to make sure my phone was charged so that I wasn't in a, in a Lyft or in an Uber with no phone signal. She was going 
above and beyond. And so I had just given a presentation talking about getting to know people's stories and the impact of understanding why they do what they do, because then that gives you answers to know how you can operate as a manager and supervisor. And so I just, I straight up asked her, I make no bones about it. If I want to know something, I just, I ask. And I said, so, okay, you're going above and beyond. There has to be a reason what's your story? And I said it to her just like that. And she just, she kind of laughed at first because it was a very direct question, but then her answer, it surprised me. She said about a year ago, my dad passed away and my dad was always the example of someone who went above and beyond and always showed kindness to the people around him. And as we're coming up on a year, it's really important to me to let his legacy live on. And so I'm doing what I can to take care of the people around me. And I, I even have Kelly chills right now. I was just blown away. And I thought like right then and there is an opportunity for if I was her manager or supervisor to recognize her going above and beyond. And then really practical, I could figure out the date of when her dad passed. If I didn't already know that, I should already know that, but put that date on my calendar. And then every year I don't bring up her dad's passing, but it's an opportunity for me to bring up again, compliment her on going above and beyond. It's a, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt the kind of the story. The story is great. You see, you got goosebumps. I'm sure a lot of people listening to it got goosebumps as well. But let's not miss a very important point here. This whole concept, this whole conversation that we have, the man and the millennial, is about enhancing, building, advancing leadership, getting people to think about leading where they are. Now, I would argue that she the unnamed young woman that helped you yesterday was leading because they were, she was offering service and took action. We talked about that even last time, but I would also offer that her father, even though she saw him as a father, he was a leader because he impressed upon her a concept of serving Others of being the best that he could, showing up, doing what he could do in the moment. And so, therefore, we talked about last week or two weeks ago on this program, we talked about leaders make a difference. Her father is gone. It's sad, but it happens to all of us. Eventually, we all will be gone. The question is, what will we leave behind us that he left, for the example, that he left with his daughter who then has left implanted that in you by way of the service she offered yesterday. And now you've shared the story with what millions, thousands, <laughs> millions. okay, oh okay maybe two or, th- two or three that are watching today. But, but the reality of it is everybody has the opportunity to learn from the experience of another. And that's what leadership is all about. Absolutely. And I'll say one last thing and then we'll move on to the other questions. So thinking about that story, what if there's something that your employee does something does something really well, but you ask them where or why is that? Or maybe 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 they don't they don't know why they do what they do or maybe they're struggling with something and you ask them why are they struggling? Maybe they don't have a good work ethic. We've heard that in some of our coaching sessions. What do I do with employees who don't have a good work ethic? Well, you ask them like how did where did you grow up learning your work ethic? And that gives you answers. Like if they didn't have a good example, she had a good example. Maybe right. someone else doesn't have a good example. So that's an opportunity for you 
to maybe become a mentor for that person, like take your leadership to even the next level um, and be more intentional with how you move forward with that employee, knowing that while their performance may be frustrating, it's an opportunity for you to lead an individual to a better place. I, I think a second question that would fit right here on the heels of the first, and I remind, I remind our viewers, you said the first question is, why do you do what you do? How did you learn it? You know, et cetera, et cetera. All of those are exceptional questions. Now, a second question or type of question that might be considered is to ask that in that one-on-one -on -one situation. So what brings you the greatest joy or satisfaction in the work that you do? It's my opinion. I think you agree with this, Allison, and I hope that others that are watching agree with it as well. But it's my opinion that if we can find joy and satisfaction in the work that we do, that it makes us work harder, makes us care more, it makes us stay longer, makes us get more involved. In other words, we become better in almost every way if we are joyful and satisfied in the work that we do. Now, we cannot assume that everybody is joyful and satisfied in their work. Some people have to work because they need a job. But if we as leaders can find aspects of the job that they find joyful and satisfying, then we can reinforce those, maybe even give more opportunity to work in those areas. And therefore, they're not as apt to leave. They're not as apt as be dissatisfied in their work. Their quality of their work is better. The relationship with team members there's a lot of side benefits that come by being able to focus on joy and satisfaction at work. And how do you know if someone is joyful or satisfied unless you ask them? I love that. I think that that's such a good point. Um, if you're taking notes. So the first question was find something they do well, compliment them on it and then ask them why they, where they learn that from. The second one was ask them where they find the most joy and satisfaction in their life. Phil, I want to talk about the other question that you mentioned earlier about strengths and weaknesses. Do you want you know, to give in that? Strengths and weaknesses. Al Allison and I spent a little time before we go on air talking about these questions and just bouncing things off of one another. But strengths and weaknesses, you know, unfortunately, over the years, it's become sort of expected that managers would catch people doing things wrong. And then correct them and, you know, chastise them and write them up or whatever it may be. I'm not saying that that's not necessary. Occasionally that is necessary, that we've got to fix those things that are going wrong. But how many times do we miss the opportunity to catch people doing things right? Now, most of the time, if people are doing things right, it's because they already had the skill and the ability developed to be able to do that. They know what they're doing. They're intentional in their process. So if we can help people be more of what they're already good at, then the ch chances are they're going to work harder, like their job more, stay longer, et cetera. You know, I I've said this many times. Now, this may sound like I'm bragging, and I guess I am to some degree, but just stay with me and you'll understand why I'm sharing this. Before I started this, this professional development company 30, almost 33 years ago, I worked in manufacturing. I worked in corporate America. Now, I'm happy to say in those almost 10 years that I worked in corporate America, I never received a bad performance evaluation. In fact, I didn't even receive an average performance evaluation. 
all of my performance evaluations were above average to excellent. Now, I took great pride in that because I, I had a work ethic. I, I had personal pride in the work that I did, et cetera. But there's more to the story. The reason I loved what I did and was satisfied in what I did and it was able to use the strengths that I had and what I did is because I was in the right position. If, in fact, my boss would have given me the responsibility to one or more of these things, sit behind a computer screen all day long, or work a calculator or spreadsheets all day long, or to process and analyze policies and procedures all day long, then I will guarantee you that when my evaluation rolled around, this is what the, the boss would have said. You spend too much time at the water cooler. You spend too much time in the break room. You spend too much time talking. Why? Because that's what I, well, that's what gives me satisfaction and joy. That's what my skill is. So what they did was they put me in an HR role. They put me in an in a interactive role with employees, and it fit perfectly. One of the challenges that I think that a lot of our viewers may, may run into as it relates to frustrations with employees is their employees are mismatched with the job that they're doing relative to the skills that they have. Now, I'm not saying that that's a problem that can be fixed overnight, but it's certainly a problem that managers, at least intentional leaders, need to be aware of. And so David and others who are planning to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with employees need to be thinking about what is it that what is it that they feel that the employee feels that is their strongest asset? Now, you can also ask what are your weakest assets and, and, and go to work on trying to improve and strengthen them, but don't overlook the strongest assets and push people toward those things that they're already good at because that's when they can excel. That's when they can, well, they can do some miraculous things. I totally agree with that. You just made me think of something. So let's go back to, let's go back to the 1900s, like 1999, whenever I was in middle school. I'm only going to talk about this for just a second, but I was a I was a cheerleader. Nobody judge me if you're listening to this. <laughs> I was a cheerleader, and in middle school I was five foot tall, ninety five pounds, lanky little girl. So they wanted me. If you're everybody's pretty familiar with cheerleaders, they wanted me to be the girl that goes up in the air. It's called a flyer, and so. That, that that was what they had in their mind. That was what I was built for. And so we kept doing, they're called stunts. People kept lifting me up and trying to get me to stay up there. And it was just not something I could do very well. But because I couldn't do it very well, I lost confidence and no. it was hard. I could get incrementally better but I told them, like, your girl's got guns. Like, let me try to be on the bottom. I've got muscles. I can lift these other people up. And even though, like, I didn't look like I could be a base, even though um, I, even though I looked like I should be a flyer, what I found was that I had better arm strength than I did hip strength. And I was better as a base. And my performance and my, my, my performance got better faster because I was in that right position. And I think even with kids, like if they come home and they have a bad grade in math and everything else is A plus, we start working on math. I need to get them a tutor and do this. But man, if we would focus on what they're really good at, whether 
it's reading or whether they're a base or whether it's someone who's really good with interpersonal skills and communication, that having people in the right place and focusing on improving their strengths, I feel like is what's going to ignite performance so much faster. And Allison, you and I know we've talked about all of these issues at great length over extended period of time. We've shared it in our live presentations with clients. We've talked about these things, but there is a there is a downside to all of this. And what I mean by that is and and we'll put it in the form of a question that David and others need to consider as well. If we don't focus on their strengths, if we only focus on their weaknesses, if we don't go look and find what their joy and satisfaction is, then the chances are pretty good that they're going to look to leave us at some point. Yeah. And at this point in time, right now, where we are in history, where it's so hard to find employees in the first place, the last thing we want to do is to lose a good or promising employee. And so I think another question that would be appropriate for David to ask and for others to consider would be this one. And it's a hard one, but this is a question that I think would be appropriate. So I'll, I'll use you as the example, Allison. So, Allison, what would tempt you to leave us? What would, what would potentially lure you away to go to another organization. Now, most people would immediately go, oh, it's always money. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yet money can be a tempter. There's no question. We all need it. We all want it. We all want more of it. That's just reality. But money is not the primary reason that people leave an organization. I've said this for years, and I will say it as long until somebody proves me wrong. The main reason people leave an organization is to get away from a boss that doesn't seem to know or care about them. So when you ask, what is the temptation, you put them on the spot, but it also gives them an opportunity to be very candid, very transparent, very open, very honest in their answer. They go, well, if I didn't see an opportunity to grow here, if I did not see an opportunity to learn more here, if I didn't see an opportunity to contribute more to this job, that might be a temptation for me. You need to hear that and you need to hear them say that so that you then, as the leader of this organization, can, well, take positive steps to, to remedy that. And I, I think it's real nice to talk about the good, warm, fuzzy questions, but sometimes the tough questions may actually be the most valuable questions over time. Bill, I left, as you're saying this, I'm thinking I left three organizations not for money. I left three organizations for a better schedule. I have kids. I have a husband whose schedule can be crazy. I needed stability and I wanted to be home on nights, weekends, and holidays. And you better believe in a world where there's so many job opportunities that your competitors are likely calling on your high performers. They're emailing them, they're texting them, they're calling them. The man, the man who started his career in way back in those 1900s that you talked about earlier, the man was taught, go to work, keep your mouth shut, work hard, do what they tell you to do, do it in the way that they tell you, do it when they tell you to do it. And 30 years from now, you'll get a retirement. That's what the man was taught. That's not what the millennials are learning. 
Millennials realize that they need flexibility, or at least they want flexibility, and in many cases need flexibility in their job. They need to have a say in their job. They need variety in their job. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I'll add to that. It's possible that, you know, back in the day that employees wanted flexibility and all of that, too. But they lived in a world where it wasn't okay to speak up. And now if you don't give me flexibility, I got somebody right down on the other corner who will give it to me. I can assure you we all wanted flexibility and we all wanted to be heard by our bosses. We just didn't have the opportunity. The culture at the time was not what it is today. For leaders today, David and others, I would highly recommend, highly recommend that you have regular conversations with every employee one-on-one so that that this is not a strange occurrence. It actually is a, a welcomed occurrence. Employees look forward to having those one-on-ones with their, with their boss. And I'll also say this, don't worry so much about having, um, uh, you know, formed questions before you have those conversations. Certainly you need to know what you're going to talk about. Certainly you need to be prepared. But what I have found, and Allison, I know you're this way too, sometimes the best conversation comes out of questions that come up in the moment as opposed to something that you had planned over time. And the reality is if you're having ongoing conversations, there's many opportunities to ask many questions, some of which are more appropriate today, some of which may be appropriate a month from today. But the reality is the conversation itself is what's most valuable for most of our followers. And hopefully that's the message that David gets and others who are watching and participating today that they will get and take away from our conversation. Absolutely. Um, uh, One thing that you made me think of is I've heard of organizations doing sort of a COVID reorientation. So yeah, you you may have employees that have been there 20 years, but we've just been through a massive global world shift. And so we're seeing that there are some organizations who are having success saying, hey, we're going to reorient every single employee. We're going to go through the whole orientation process. Who is this organization after COVID? Where do you fit in? What's the plan for you now in, in the way that our organization has changed? It's a good opportunity to have these kinds of conversations. Allison, I happened to glance at the clock just now. We made a promise to our viewers that we won't keep them longer than 30 minutes, and we're fast approaching 30 minutes. Let me say a couple things. This has been so much fun for you and I to spend this time. Certainly, we talk about business every day, or at least most every day in one way or another, but to have, be able to share our perspectives with our with our viewers, that, that's, a, that's a unique treat. So let me say two things to our viewers. Number one, Again, if you have questions, and hopefully they'll come pouring in after today so that we can be better prepared for our uh, time together two weeks from today. So send your questions, hello at vanhooser.com. Send them to hello at vanhooser.com. But I would also say that if you're enjoying this, share this with others. Let them know that there's this opportunity to to. Tune in to a live presentation or when we have to, a taped presentation to get the kind of practical conversation that we're having today. I think, I, I th- I think 
Well, I think people can be helped by it. And that's what we're trying to do is to help people be better leaders. I'm the man. I'm the millennial. We'll see you all in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For the links to everything mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes. And if you'd like more practical, tactical leadership development content, go to www.vanhooser.com for my weekly blog and all the links to my social media channels. And if it makes sense to start improving the leadership skills of your managers and supervisors, let's talk about training options for your team. Email me at allison at vanhooser.com. Leaders, make the choice today to put your stake in the ground and own your leadership success. This is Stake, the Leadership Podcast.